0: thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast We really appreciate you taking the time to listen and we hope if ever you're in Clifton Texas you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon Good morning everyone hello. it's great to see all of you a little bit of uh, details house cleaning stuff I, I wanted to let you know this coming Sunday I on Saturday I'm, I'm honored I'm getting to do the wedding for Seth and Samantha. And so on Sunday, we aren't, I'm not going to be here. and we will be coming back on Saturday. And um, So you're in luck because Dan Fowler is going to be preaching for us this coming Sunday. So I hope you'll come and, and support. And uh, I know he'll do a great job. Also, as hopefully you've heard, we want to wish all of you a happy Mother's Day to the moms out here. And, and one thing I do want to say, uh, and I, I plan on saying this every year, I do also know that this can be a very difficult day for a lot of us. <laughs> I know that for many here or watching online, Mother's Day can be painful if if you're mourning um, and reflecting on the loss of your mother, or if you're um, thinking about um, things as a mother. Uh, There's just all sorts of things where today can be a difficult day, and uh, if you are feeling that, you know what I'm talking about. But here's one thing that I do think is great. One thing that I do think is great is that we have a Savior that is able to be where this is a day that He would want you to be here, no matter where you're at. If today is a celebration, our Savior is glad you're here, and he can meet you there. And if this is a day of pain, our Savior is really good with that, and he's able to meet you here and be there for you. Um, one of this this is our, our series we've been going through. We've been going through a series on prayer, and I've titled it, Your Will Be Done. And as you may be aware, this is our last sermon on this prayer series. Let's give us a round of applause. for sticking with us. I was talking to a preacher fairly recently. I was talking to Cody, and he was like, I just don't know how some preachers do, like, series that are, like, 20 weeks long. I was like, oh, yeah, those preachers. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, this is Sermon 17 in our prayer series. Um, but I, uh, I'm going to cut right to the chase and kind of introduce it. In my opinion, one of the things I've been trying to – the series was called Your Will Be Done. I've been trying to lay out from the core, throughout all of these, no matter what we're talking about, somewhere deep in there, Prayer is a, and I've, I've italicized this on purpose because it's the key, prayer is a submission to, a contentment with, and a participation in God's will. I know that I'm not Jesus, so I don't get to determine what, but after studying the New Testament, after reading, I've come to the place where, at its core, when we come to God in prayer, we are submitting to God's will. We are becoming people that more and more, as life happens around us, we are able to, whether whether it makes us happy, whether it makes us sad or breaks our heart, we are able to find a contentment with, God, I don't understand this, but I'm here and I'm with you. I'm in this. And then also when we pray, we are participating in God's will. I cannot pray, God, I pray that you help Steve and then not myself enter into trying to help with that, participating with it. And one of the, if you're, if you're like me, I think one of the core things that we've got to get out of the way is that the word submission or surrender is not a word that we like very much in our vocabulary. I tried to do some research on where the origin of the white flag of surrender came from because if you're like me, you kind of grew up where the reason why you are able to succeed, the reason why you're the best, the reason why you made it in the top five in your class, the reason why you made it to be that top athlete at your school The reason why you got that promotion is because you aren't the person who surrenders. You're the person that never give up, never quit, never surrender. And yet, it's so fascinating, and I I get it, I understand that there's something really, I don't like, it feels gross, the thought of being like, okay, I give up. And yet, one of the things that's key with prayer is coming to a place of being able to say, God, I quit. Me trying to do this. I quit me trying to get my way. I quit, I surrender, I give up on me trying to be the, the Lord of my life, and I surrender to you. And I've referenced this prayer before in a sermon series when we were going through John. But this is a prayer that I believe is one of our best examples that we have of this. It was written by a guy named Richard Aline, I believe is how you say his last name. And it was used by John Wesley uh, in the Methodist Church in 1755. And it's an incredible picture of praying and saying, God, I I surrender. So I'm going to read this. And uh, I have this in my office. I would highly encourage you to all consider this being a prayer that you can add to your life more frequently. He wrote this. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt, rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee, or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee, or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen. So the language of this prayer is a very scary one if you actually believed this as you said this. It would be a pretty scary thing to pray to God, God, I freely and heartily yield my suffering to you, that I'm okay if you make me suffer. I freely and heartily yield that I'm, I would, if it's your will, I'd like to be employed. If it's your will, that I am not used by you, then so be it. Isn't that a fascinating thing to pray? It's a very scary thing to pray. But I think the premise is, is that with all of these things, I picture in my mind, we all are good at surrendering certain things, right? God, I surrender this. You can have it. But there are other things that we're maybe not so good at surrendering over to God. You following me? Does that make sense? It's easy for me to say, God, you can have my words. I'm not going to be someone that uses foul language. Uh, but God, uh, I'm not so good at turning this. And this was, I think, him just trying to say anything that we could possibly hold on to, anything that I have that I could say, no, not that, God. I'm surrendering it over to you. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at three Bible passages that talk about surrender, and I'm going to try and connect them to prayer. And the first one we're going to look at is Psalm 139. Uh, If you want to turn in your Bibles, you can, or you can follow along on the screen if you'd like. Um, Psalm 139. We're not going to read the whole psalm, but we're going to read part of it. This is a psalm of David. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And then he says, Search me, in verse 23, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So the first point, if you're a note taker, is that we have to choose in prayer and in our lives to surrender for God to search us. And I think one of the things that is so interesting about this is I know that God knows everything going on in my heart. But there's something about us being people who are willing to say, God, I give you permission to know inside of me, inside and out, all my insecurities, all my fears, all my doubts, all the places where I, I know I don't think what I ought to be thinking, and I give you free reign to search me and to know me and to help me get those things out. Well, I, I believe he knows everything, but the question is, do we invite him in? Because in my opinion, one of the key things is he wants us to invite him in to do the, the searching in our hearts. I've said this story before, but whenever Hurricane Harvey happened, I remember this happened in many of the houses, but basically people weren't willing to admit that their house was like completely lost. You know, There was a lot of people trying to figure out how to cut corners on, well, maybe this room isn't too bad. Maybe we can keep this room. But we all knew, all of us who'd been around, I was like, no, listen, all your stuff is ruined. Like, you do not want to lay on this couch ever again. Because for two weeks, it was sitting in two feet of water. You're not, it's not worth saving. Wait, no, 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 it's not that bad. I think I could do, put new fabric on it. No, just, it's gone, okay? But one of the things I remember is, as we would go house to house, and, and yes, think about this. This is very invasive, right? You have these complete strangers coming to help, and you have to let them into your home. And as you can maybe imagine... With a lot of people, there were certain rooms in the house that was like, no. You cannot go in that room. And whether it was because they were a hoarder and they were embarrassed by how crazy that room looked, whether it was because of I don't know. The main thing though was that person was thinking, well, I'll take all the help you're willing to give in the living room. I'll take all the help you can give here. But you can't go into the master bathroom. I don't want you to help there. It's embarrassing. And if we had listened to those people, those people would still be cleaning out those rooms today. They would have never gotten it done. But because they were willing to lay down their pride and they were willing to go, I'm sorry y'all, this is really embarrassing, but my bathroom's a mess. And we all got to go, we don't care. We're going to all throw it away anyway. And we'd get to go in there and we'd actually get to help. I think the same thing is true with prayer. We have things that when we come before God and we pray, for some reason we aren't willing to go, God, I have an anger issue. God, I have a lust issue. Too often I pick a movie where I pick it because I really think that actress is attractive and there's scenes where she looks extra attractive. When I'm not willing to pray to God, God, this is in my heart. Please do something with it. He's, he, is, he can do whatever he wants. But I think he's really wanting us to open up our hearts for him to search us and to know us. Okay, next analogy or passage. Isaiah 6 A very famous passage, uh, a classic. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? We have this beautiful throne room scene right before where Isaiah is in the presence of God. Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. And the angel comes out and touches his mouth with the burning coal. And he says, I'm going to atone you, make you clean. And he says, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah says the classic famous lines, here I am, send me. Isaiah has surrendered. He said, I'll do what you need me to do. I'm ready to serve. And then God says... Go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, to make their eyes, ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And then I said, for how long, Lord? And we could keep going. I know you're probably like, what on earth was that? What did God just say that he wants him to do? Isaiah is a very confusing book. We only quote it when we're quoting the stuff of, He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. We only quote those parts. But I'm going to give you a really brief cliff note version of this. Something about what God is planning on doing. Something is he's saying, I need someone for a task. Isaiah says, I'm surrendered. I'll do it. And then he says, but the task is going to be brutal. It's going to be unrewarding. None of this is going to make it seem like these people are responding. He's saying, it's only going to, you are proclaiming over and over is going to take these people whose hearts have been hardened towards me, and it's probably just going to make it even worse and push them even, even further. And so my second point is, part of when we say, God, I surrender, we also have to admit that we're surrendering for God's results and for God's timing. I think when I, the reason I picked this passage is because so often when we think, God, I'm ready to surrender, we think that that means he's going to send us to be Moses. Look at all this big stuff you're going to do. You're going to do all these amazing things. And sometimes being surrendered means we're going to do stuff that is unimportant, that nobody's going to notice, that we're never going to be famous for that it's going to feel like what we're doing is not getting any results. Uh, I think about, I had a a girl who was an intern for me when I was a youth minister in Katie. and I remember we were driving back from Camp Eagle. We were driving back, and I'm driving, and she's sitting there, and she's just crying. And I remember thinking, oh no, you know, (laughs) what did I do? Um, Or what happened? And I turn, and of course for the first while she doesn't want to talk about it, but eventually she shares that the camp director... He had given a speech about how he had been in Aus- he was from Australia, doing a summer camp in Texas, and how he had had this awesome marketing job that he quit because he felt like he wanted to work for Jesus, and about how it led him here. And she said she she was crying because she said, "I know I want to work for Jesus. I know I want to do this. I've surrendered. I've I'm, I want to do where, wherever he sends me. I want to go, and he keeps on not showing me where he wants me to go." She was so frustrated because, like all of us, we have our moments of going, God, I surrender. And then, whenever we're sitting there, we're like, come on, God, use me. Come on, God, I'm ready to do big things. I'm ready to go. And we can often feel like the results aren't there. The timing isn't there. And when we pray, we can often say, God, I'm surrendering my heart. I'm praying that you'll change this. Why aren't you acting? I'm, I'm here. I'm ready. And his results and his timing, we have to just be willing to go, I surrender that this isn't happening yet. That this isn't happening in the way that I thought it would happen. And then, my last Bible passage, which is my favorite. My favorite Old Testament story in the Bible. Anybody, has anybody picked up what my favorite story is? Does anybody know? If you want to turn your Bibles to Ruth, chapter 1. A very fitting story for Mother's Day. In verse 8, Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Keep in mind, Naomi has now lost her husband and her two sons, and uh, they're in another country, so she's completely and totally, you know, life is, is over. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me, to, to my sons. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept, and they wept aloud. You can imagine this would be just an incredibly touching scene. These, these women who have gone through hell together. These women who have lost their husbands and her sons. And they've all been there through thick and thin together. And she's saying, y'all can leave me now. And they're together. And um, they say to her, we will go back with you to your people. We're going to go back to Israel with you to, to Bethlehem. But Naomi said, no, no, I'm not going to let y'all do that. Return home, my daughters. Don't, don't come with me. Go back to your families. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons? Am I going to be able to have sons that are going to be able to grow up and that you can marry, that you can have a family? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons tonight, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, that just doesn't make any sense. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Look, she's doing the smart thing. She's doing the sensible thing. Go with, do what she's doing. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. You can see why this is quoted in a lot of weddings. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her to go. Okay, so, third point. We are surrendered to God and not to ourselves. The reason why I use this passage is because what Ruth has now said in some form or another is she says, I do not care about Ruth anymore. My life is going to not be about me anymore. Because guess what Naomi's trying to do? Naomi's trying to say, look, you've been with me. Look out for yourselves. Do this sensible thing. Go back, go to Moab, go to your families, marry a Moabite guy, have your Moabite gods, and your life will be better. You'll have sons. But I am on a sinking ship. Don't stick it out with me. It's not good for you. And Ruth's response is, I don't care about me anymore. I am making everything I do about you. And this is so fitting on Mother's Day because on Mother's Day, we all, if you were blessed to have a mother like I have, if you were blessed to be married like a mother like I am, you know that the second that that first child is born, Who they are stops being about themselves. Now us dads, we try our best, but we're nowhere close as our wives are at saying, well, you know what? My sleep used to be like this, but I don't sleep for me anymore. My work used to be like this, but I don't work for me anymore. My, what I do every day used to be about, well, that would be maybe fun, and now it's what is going to help them know God more? What is going to help them have the best education that they can have? What is going to help them have, you following me? Mothers do this. And what I I want you to see with our prayer life, and we talked about it a little bit in Sunday morning class this morning, is that when we come to God in prayer, we have to continually more and more remind ourselves that we are in prayer surrendering to God and saying, God, your will be done, not my own. I am no longer living for Drew anymore. I am surrendering for your will, for your ways, for your results, for your timing. Let me be employed by thee or set aside for thee. All those things. It can be, I think it's easy for us to say, God, I trust you. And it takes a lifetime for us to actually start learning how to trust and surrender to God. I, uh, there's that famous uh, poem, this is off the top of my head, but that Invictus poem where the guy says, I'm the captain of my fate, I am the master of my, I'm the, I'm the master of my soul, I'm the captain of my fate. We spend our whole life... Being born saying, I am the master of my fate. And learning how to go, God, I surrender more and more to you being the master of my fate. Will we, when we surrender, will we fully trust in God? When we pray every day, we are fully trusting in God's timing. This is a quote from an author who was writing about the covenant prayer. His name is Keith Beasley Topliff. He wrote, But the covenant prayer, every time I come back to it, it keeps calling me away from this misplaced self-confidence, this pride in who I, who I can be, what I can do. It helps me to remember that I haven't really done very well trying to call the shots in my life. Great plans turn to dust and ashes. When I thought I was grabbing for all the gusto, it turned out to be pretty tasteless trying to be my own didn't work. Trying to admit, or time to admit, wave the flag of surrender and let God be in control. Someone once said, Andrew Murray once said, the first and most essential element of discipleship is humility. The most essential to being able to say God, I trust you is to you humble yourselves that you know you being in control isn't working. And I believe prayer is very similar. When we come to prayer, as God is our cosmic vending machine, God, this is what I need. This is what I need you to do. I need it done like this. We still haven't surrendered our control. We're just asking God to help us out, to be our advisor, instead of trusting him to be in charge. And here is, here is the paradox of all this. The paradox, in my opinion, is something that's very fascinating is, when we surrender, when I go into a surgeon's office and say, all right, I hope you know what you're doing, when we surrender, we feel helpless and vulnerable. Because holding on feels secure and stable. Yet, when we surrender to God, we actually are not vulnerable. We are not helpless. We are actually the most secure and the most free that we will ever be. So let's read this prayer together. I am no longer my own but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee. Exalted for thee or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty, let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine, and I am thine, so be it. And the covenant which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Earlier we sang a song, What have you given for me? I gave it all for you, what have you given for me? And the answer of what God wants us to say back is, I've given you my heart. That's what he's looking for. Will you give him your heart? Every day is an opportunity to surrender, to saying, I want Christ to be in control, to find our contentment in the way things are because we trust God is sovereign. There's a song, now it's kind of an old song. This is my desire to honor you. Lord, with all my heart, I worship you. All I have within me, I give you praise. All that I adore is in you. Lord, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. I live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm awake, have your way in me. And you see, baptism is the perfect instrument to communicate the start of our journey with God. We are surrendered. We are laid down. We do not rise, but we are raised by God to life. We are made right by the faithfulness of Jesus. And today, we're going to get to witness two more examples of that surrender. And so, if any of you have any prayer requests, elders are going to be standing at the doors while Andrew comes and leads us in this song.